Hiya. Hiya. Thank you for coming. Uh, um, where's the menu? Can we get... Uh, oh, no, that's the wine list. So. Can we get uh, one latte and one cappuccino? Okay. And then also, can we get... Uh, did you want that salami pizza? The same as you. Yeah, can we get two of the spicy salami pizza, please? Okay. Um, anything else? Are you happy with that? That's it. Cool. Lovely. Perfect. Thank you very much. Thank you. See if that worked. Hello and welcome to the Motormouth Podcast with Harry Benjamin and Tim Sylvie. In this episode, we chat to Adam Christodoulou, Mercedes-AMG factory driver. Adam has raced primarily in tin tops in some of the toughest GT and endurance championships on some of the toughest racetracks in the world, which explains why he's happy to eat pig trotters. All will be explained. Uh, and a quick disclaimer, the first five-ish minutes, Adam sounds a bit echoey. After a quick pizza break, uh, he sat a bit closer to the mic and it sounds way better. So just push through those first five minutes uh, we hope you enjoy and don't forget to like and subscribe just search for the motormouth podcast on your favorite podcast platform where you can also leave us a review and also download the motormouth app where you can get live race times exclusive video content from mmtv create your own social profile and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy Okay, so welcome to episode eight of the Motormouth podcast. Um, I'm here once again with the lovely Harry Benjamin. How are you? You cannot get rid of me. I'm very well, Tim. Thank you. You are still here. Still here. Lurking. <laughs> lingering. <laughs> um, now, before uh, before we get going, let's have our usual little, little chin wag. What's, oh, yes. What's the goss? What have you been up to? Well, I, oh, my phone's going mad at the moment. That what is not timing. That is poor timing. <laughs> um, well, well, we did uh, British touring cars, which is really cool at Silverstone, so it's not been too long since I last saw your uh, ugly mug, but um, thank you. Uh, yeah, then apart from that, I've just been uh, getting ready for for this, really, and going up and down the country, and doing up and radio. down the country, doing various different jobs. Yeah, lovely. Well, listen, before um, we go any further, I should introduce our esteemed guest, um, and I've prepared a little brief intro to to bring him in. You've so actually put a bit of work today as well. It's I have. I did my revision. Yeah. Um, so our guest this week, as many will have already um, established, is Adam Christodoulou, um, born in Staffordshire in 1989 to Greek and British heritage. Correct me if any of this is wrong, by the way. Started in carts, winning the Kartmasters British Grand Prix in 2001, before progressing to single seaters in 2006. Since those early days, he's raced all over the world, collecting a handful of wins, more than a handful of wins. That's a bit cruel, isn't it? I'll blame Harry on that one. Podiums and fastest laps in the likes of Formula Renault, Starman. As the series in the US, European Open GT Championship, the Le Mans series, VLN races, and the infamous Green Hell at the Nurburgring, Rolex 24, Ferrari Challenge, Blanc Pan, Bathurst, British GTs, Daytona, and even the Chinese Endurance Championship. Twice nominated as a finalist for the coveted McLaren BRDC Autosport Award, and has flirted, not necessarily driven a Mercedes F1 car and provides countless hours of entertainment on his Insta stories and his lovely new YouTube page. We're delighted to have him here as we break down his career and delve into his life away from track as well. Ladies and gentlemen, it's official Mercedes AMG driver and all-round good guy, Adam Christodoulou. Oh, the crowd's going mad, Adam. Thank welcome. You, thank you very much. You're welcome. welcome. How are you? Good to see you. Yeah, all good, all good. So, uh, yes. Quite a bit of racing there. I didn't quite, quite realise when you start. To Your CV is the longest thing I've ever seen. I think it's really impressive. It does, it does date you a little bit though. Well, uh, yeah, like, <laughs> in my head, I'm still the youngest driver out there. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I suppose uh, things are moving on, and uh, yeah, there's man, there's drivers now that are going to be in cars at half my age. So yeah. um, I, I do a lot of coaching, and of course, 
some of the the kids that are in uh, the Janetta Juniors, they're they're starting at the age of fourteen now, and it's just like God, it's I know it's unbelievable. Well, what do you think of the like? Well, you know, when you know, look at F one and Max Verstappen and Charles Leclerc and all that, they get younger by the year. All the records keep getting broken. Well, yeah, like when when Max obviously uh, first jumped in, that was pretty incredible that someone so young was was in F1 but I think obviously there's now a bit of a stop to that with the super license and the, and the grading to, to be able to get that but uh, yeah like I said still in my head I, I still feel like I'm one of the, I've got plenty of energy in me I'm, I feel like I'm one of the youngest even though uh, I don't look or <laughs> don't look at <laughs> It is an impressive CV, and I th- I think actually as CVs go, it's the longest we've had by some considerable distance in terms of the actual uh, amount of racing and the different types of racing that you've done. It's quite astonishing. That just means that I sent you far too much information. Yeah, it's the one time Tim has had to text me being like, oh my God, it's so much information. I know. You were like, w- where are the notes? It's midnight. And I'm like, well, I'm still going. There's an awful lot here. So take us back to the beginning. Obviously, it started in carts for you all those years ago. Um, do you remember much about those those days and, and who were the types that you were racing against? And do you, I suppose you have some fond memories from from those sorts of karting experiences. Yeah, kart, karting was almost like the, the best of the racing. It's the purest and, of course, uh, well, back then when I, when I used to race, it was uh, me, my dad and my older cousin, uh, uh, Jamie, that was my mechanic. So I was the driver, my cousin Jamie um, was the mechanic and, and my dad was basically our engineer and... Uh, I feel like at the time we almost took karting to the new extremes with uh, the amount of testing that we were doing. I started at the age of seven and uh, yeah, it, it ended up being this thing that I do every Saturday and actually, to be honest, halfway through my first year I sort of uh, ran out of interest a little bit. I was, I was thinking, of course, at the age of seven I just wanted to go and play football and yeah. see my mates and all of that and every Saturday was being occupied with, by, by karting and at the time it was just testing because you're only allowed to start racing once you turn eight and um, yeah, it, it was one of them where I lost a little bit of interest and so I made one or two excuses uh, to like miss one or two weekends and then basically uh, my, my dad uh continue to push it kind of thing and of course I ended up I took my license I did my first race um, at Shennington I finished sixth overall and I won my first novice trophy and of course as, as they say the rest was history kind of thing and I, I couldn't wait to go racing again the next day and of course it killed me having to wait for a whole week uh, before I was allowed to go karting again and uh, yeah it was just Nothing, nothing really beats karting. In fact, funnily enough, I'm going karting tomorrow, so uh, we'll see how my arms feel by the end of the day. Is, is it something that's in the family? I know you've got family members that are in motorsport now, but was it something back then that other people in your family had done? So when when my dad and his brother, uh, his brother Rick, were, were in their teens, they, they decided to get themselves a kart, and they were karting a bit, had a bit of fun. Um, they said they were they weren't too successful at it, and so they actually set up their own kart team, and they had a lot more success as a kart team than they did as uh, drivers themselves. And so my dad used to tune the engines, and uh, my uncle Rick used to basically build the carburetors from a block of aluminium kind of thing from scratch. And uh, yeah, they had a lot of success. And then of course I, I think they got to the point where they're like, well, maybe it's time to join the real world because as everyone knows, motorsport isn't exactly the real world like there's so much that goes on and of course uh, everyone's got a goal to like as, as drives to try and make it to f1 and all of that and i suppose it gets to a point where sponsorship's extremely tough and all of that and so uh, maybe it was the same for for my dad and his brother that they decided to uh 
yeah, get in the real world, join the family business and, and do that. And I suppose they waited until uh, me and my cousin Ricky were, were old enough to start testing. And how old's Ricky? Ricky's he's 11 months older than me, so he's 31. Uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. I feel like every year of, of racing or of my life is getting quicker and quicker, which is a little bit worrying. I feel your pain. I know he looks about 50, but he's 22. I, I think that's quite rude, actually. Uh, oh, the pizza oh, has pizza. arrived. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, just, on, just there, please. Oh, good choice. What did you go for? Barbecue chicken. Thank you very very much. much. Cheers. Careful. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thanks a lot. Right. We'll cut it there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll do a quick pause. So, okay, well, we're back uh, from uh, the pizza break, Adam. I hope it was worth it. Uh, it's beautiful. Um, so, we were just talking about karting as well, and I had a quick question. Obviously, you see, that's how you start out karting for most drivers who want to be successful motor racing yep. drivers uh, you still see a lot of them doing it now is it more just for the fun of it or is it still something that, that keeps is it a way of honing your technique still or is it purely just for, for fun well uh karting keeps you extremely sharp and it's extremely physical um it uses obviously just different muscles to uh the single seater cars and that but mm. uh it's it's incredible how physical the carts are and so generally the biggest thing is y- your hand grip uh is what's going to probably suffer first and then depending on which track you're at and what tyres you're using, then you might start to feel it on your shoulders and, and your ribs. Obviously, you've got to be very careful that you don't injure yourself. So uh, a lot of us have rib protectors back from when we used to cart ourselves. Uh, I never really liked to use a rib protector when, when I was younger, but uh, I'm obviously getting old because I need one now. <laughs> well, still still keeping you sharp. So so you do your karting. What's the, what's the next step for you out of karting? So most... <clears throat> or like when I was racing uh, from from the carts to cars, um, I raced carts until I was fifteen, and then I had a, a few months out, and then I moved into cars, and so uh, I, I went straight into Formula Renault. I tested over in Ireland quite a bit, uh, and then then came over and well, came back and did the Winter Series uh, in two thousand and two thousand and six. I can tell you that one. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I need a computer for them to be. Yeah, two thousand at the end of two thousand and six. Um, but nowadays, um, you're allowed to race cars, Janetta Juniors, and uh, I think the Fiesta Junior Championship and uh, the Radical SR1 Championship at the age of like 14. And so, wow. Uh, they, a lot of kids end up going testing at the age of, I think they're allowed to start testing when they're 13 and a half. They've got to have an instructor with them, uh, which is good for the guys that do a lot of coaching and stuff, because of course it means there's quite a flow of work for us guys. Uh, but it's it's incredible how young you can jump into cars now like i think maybe it's a little bit too young but really? it's just my opinion kind of thing like well i think someone mentioned it over the weekend because of the whole you know formula one with charlotte clerk sebastian vettel the you know, records getting tumbling each year and they said you know that's bound to happen because as technology advances we can uh, get more data we can see how things work more clearly and, and find that faster lap time etc from a younger age so is it more just to do with sort of maybe like a technological advance or do you still think that actually it's still age and with that comes to maturity that you need to be able to gauge decisions when racing it's 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 really hard to, I suppose at the end of the day, it's just going to be an opinion. And the thing is nowadays we've got all the simulator work that we can do. And of course for, for the F1 guys, this is the cheapest form of testing. And uh, a lot of drivers use the Sims uh, because they're getting better and better and more and more realistic. And, and this is how they're able to hone and do what they're able to do at such a young age and learn all like an F1 steering wheel must have 
close to 50 odd buttons on it and so of course you've got to be able to memorize what each function and setting and button does and uh, there'll be a sequence of buttons for figuring out or for asking the car to do certain things and so it definitely helps being able to do all of this um i suppose the cars are getting more complex but uh everything's becoming more advanced um 30 years ago of course you had a steering wheel and you'd be lucky if you had a radio button on the thing and of course you had a h pattern gearbox and so things things are moving on and i suppose people are just adapting at a a younger age and they're, they're obviously managing because uh there's there's some extremely young and talented mm. drivers going all the way through and being very successful. At, at the start of your career here, when you, it's 2006, 2007, you're obviously racing in single-seaters. At that point, was the dream Formula One or did you think at some point I'm going to make the transition into tin tops? The, the, the focus and the goal was to make it all the way to F1. And so me, me and my cousin both moved into Formula Renault at the same time. And, uh, and so, we, of course... It wasn't just my racing that uh, the family was having to support. It was also Ricketts. And, of course, it's extremely tough. And we raced for two years in Formula Renault. And we were fighting for the championship um, pretty much all the way until the last few races. And then I decided after winning the championship, we had one or two opportunities to go testing. And and this went okay, But we'd already found out that the, the team we were testing with had already got four of its drivers signed for next year. And... Basically, uh, unfortunately, the the sad truth was uh, they took our money and said thank you very much, and I did two days testing. So of course, at this point, it was like, right, okay, what we're going to be doing? The the plan was to do the European F three, but the budgets were incredibly high, and we just we weren't sure where we were going to be looking. So actually, at this point, we had I had a conversation with my dad, and it's like, well, maybe there's opportunities in America. Of course, I didn't know much about America, but I suppose just thinking maybe the grass is greener on the other side. I was thinking, yeah. America's got loads of money. I'm going to get loads of sponsorship over there and it's going to be great and all of that. And so I, re- I went over and did a one-day test. Uh, no, it was a two-day test at, um, where was it? Sebring, an awesome circuit and yeah. uh, extremely bumpy, but uh, it's got a hell of a load of character to it. So I went testing for two days and I was quickest three out of the five sessions and second quickest in the other two sessions. And uh, by the time I'd made it home, apparently word had got out that I hadn't actually signed for the team that I was testing with and I'd basically been emailed by all 11 teams uh, with some crazy low budgets and some that are a little bit higher. And so we managed to put a deal together to do the whole championship. And of course, the dollar was or the, the pound was strong to the dollar at the time. And there was the opportunity to uh, win the, the year after's drive. So if you won the championship in Star Mazda back then, you'd win a Atlantic season um, in Formula Atlantic. And so it's like, well, hold on a sec, for almost half a year's budget, I could get two years worth of racing if if we win this thing. And so uh, the deal we put together was uh, to go and win for it and the team would get all the prize money and that would pay for that year, as well as obviously the, the funding that my dad put into it. And uh, I managed to pick up a sponsor along the way. Sadly, it wasn't the big American dream where I thought, right, I'd be getting millions for all of this. It, it, it didn't quite work. <laughs> it doesn't quite happen like that, obviously. Everyone has to work extremely hard and uh, sponsorships always one of the sticking points for, for drivers all over the world and so raced in Star Mazda for the year and he went all the way down to the final round between me and a driver called uh, uh, Peter Dempsey and so basically he, for him to win the championship I think he just had to finish within six places of where uh, where where I was going to finish and uh, 
basically I managed to get the jump at the start and then he sort of got tangled up with another car and uh, he was coming back through the pack and then I, I think just uh, it's one of the things obviously it's tough and you're trying to push to make sure you're in a safe position and uh, and I think he lost his front nose of, of the Formula uh, Mazda and that was the end of his race and so uh, yeah it was just I managed to keep my cool and and managed to win the championship right at the last minute so mm, so that was great result. and yeah how, how old are you at this point so when I raced in Star Master, I don't know. What does it say on the computer? <laughs> I don't actually have that information. Uh, so I think oh, I'd be 20. In fact, I was 20. Yeah. Um, because I remember I wasn't allowed to have a drink to celebrate. Oh, <laughs> devastating. <laughs> While you were over there and sort of lighting up America, were you, did you always have a sort of one eye still on, on the European scene and hoping what you were doing in America was sort of igniting things back home a bit more? No, not not really. The th the thing is, whilst America can run on its own, and it's the same with the racing. And at this point, uh, in fact, before I went into the Star Mazda test, we had a, a few uh, phone calls and uh, meetings with uh, the Indy Lights teams, and we said, right, we want to be a part of this. Blah blah blah. And actually, two or three of them recommended, look, come and do a year's racing in America first, and then come and speak to us. And so that's why I ended up racing in Star Mazda because. We we listened to their advice, and in the end, I suppose it's everything's sort of fallen into place year by year. And I've been very lucky to be in the right place at the right time for to to continue racing. And then, obviously, a few years ago, I was able to sign with AMG, which was a real turning point. And within that year, we we won the Nurburgring twenty four hours, and it's it's been pretty brilliant since. And uh, yeah, Mercedes. AMG put me in a good position uh, to race with a lot of their customers. So I, I, I race with a lot of customers and then I also race in full pro lineups. And so by the end of this year, I'll, I think I'll have done 23 weekends worth of racing myself, as well as the handful of races where I look after other drivers with coaching and uh, in, in instructing. So it's been quite a busy season. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're a busy chap. So tell us, how, how did the Mercedes relationship start? And, and just explain <coughs> to people what it means to be an official AMG driver. Uh, I raced, well, okay, let, let's continue from, from the Star Master story. Like, so I raced Star Master, won the championship. And at the, at the time, the, the prize money was something like $600,000, uh, which is obviously an incredible amount of money to go Jeez. racing. And so, um, unfortunately... As well, with the timing, with that timing, the Atlantic Championship collapsed, and so um, I wanted to race Indy Lights. Mazda were pushing for me to do the Atlantic Championship, but it was quite a small championship the, the previous year. And I was just thinking, oh, it's a lot of money to spend on that when I, I think going for Indy Lights and then trying to make it to IndyCar was going to be the the better option, and so. Um, we did a little bit of testing in the Atlantics and then they announced that the championship wasn't going to restart the, the year that I was meant to be doing it. And so Mazda at that point were like, okay, well, how about uh, Indy Lights then? And I was like, well, now the top five teams are all taken. I'm just going to be a number there. And it's mm. like, it's a lot of money to spend just to be a number. And so uh, actually at that point they, they said, well, how about our uh, P1 project? And of course... I was like 20 at the time, thinking I'm going from a 250 horsepower single-seater car to like a 600 horsepower P1 car. I was like, yeah, 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 right, let, let's go for it. But sadly, th there just wasn't enough budget there to, to do that. So uh, I raced in the Grand Am Championship in 2010 with uh, John Edwards and Speed Source uh, and, and Mazda in the fire-breathing RX-8. And 
and we had a pretty awesome season. So we, we finished about fifth in the championship, but it's a shame that we missed Daytona at the start of the year because, of course, it's always going to be ifs, buts and maybes. But I think we'd worked it out that if we'd got minimum points from the Daytona, we'd, 24 hours, we'd have been at least second in the championship. So I think we had a real realistic chance of, of winning uh, that if we'd competed in in the whole championship. So the year after, of course, Mazda were like, right, we'd like you to come back, but uh, do you have any sponsorship? And of course, it's like... I'm, I'm spent that's it like my dad's company can't afford to continue propping up my race uh, my racing career and and so it was like right and they came back to Europe uh, they did say look because you missed Daytona we're going to honour it the year after so for the start of 2011 so at this point uh, I came back to the UK and I spoke to my old team manager from Formula Renault and I was like look do you know anyone uh, in in the Brit Car Championship I want to do the Silverstone Brick car 24 hours um it's like what's the weekend so i gave him a bit of info and uh, all i was thinking was like i've never done a 24 hours before and i'm about to go into the biggest race of my life at the very first race of the next season with no idea of how i'm going to cope with i'm going to sleep through it or not and so uh, i gave him the dates and he came back and he's like look i don't know any anyone in brick car but he was like how'd you fancy racing our ferrari gt2 at monza that weekend all you got to do is sort out your hotel and your flights okay so okay like, dad 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 <laughs> you fly to italy and so, <laughs> and so i explained it to him he's like oh, right great so i went to italy and um we finished third and andrew was like right great job um do you fancy doing the same with the next one so i was like dad, 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 i need a flight to spain the next one's at barcelona Andrew turned around he's like look we're testing next week come and do the test so I went went and did the test and uh, anyway the next race I finished second um, and so during the winter it went a little quiet and it's like oh no okay that's it time to hang up my helmet it got to March and I'd got nothing planned for the 2011 season so I was like right that's that's me finished and uh, next thing I know Andrew rings up the team manager and he goes right he goes I've been on the phone to class I was like right he goes He's gone through all the inventory of everything. I'm not paying for this. I'm not paying for that, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, he's grabbed me by the nuts and basically made me squeal. And then right at the end, he goes, right, I'm going to pay double because I want Adam to race with me and teach me. Wow. And like, he told me this story and literally I was bouncing like off the yeah. walls kind of thing. Like, he was like, right, you're doing the European Le Mans series. And my, th- my first thought was, I'm going to Le Mans. Yeah. I was like, like, wow, I'm about to do my second biggest race ever. Anyway, at the time, I didn't quite realise that uh, Le Mans wasn't part of the European Le Mans series. So anyway, I was, I was still absolutely buzzing. So, of course, I told Dad, ran class. I was like, right, let's arrange some more testing. And he's like, hold on a sec. He's like, uh, I'm actually off to the Nürburgring tomorrow. He's like, get a flight to Amsterdam. And he goes, we'll go by a helicopter to the, to the Nürburgring. As you do. And I was like, da 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 da. I need a flight to Amsterdam. <laughs> and he's like, I'm not paying for you to go on holiday. I was like, no, this is what's happening. So, uh, so anyway, so flew to Amsterdam, flew to the Nürburgring. And uh, he had this game on his uh, iPad called uh, Flight Control, where basically there's like two runways, a short runway and a long runway and a helicopter pad. And you had to direct the planes oh, to, no, yes, to the runways this. without them crashing into each yeah. other and the helicopter onto the, the helicopter landing pad. Anyway, I was rubbish at it. Uh, that, hang, so, that was 2011. That I was just thinking, oh, oh, God, there was an iPad then as well. I remember that, yeah, it wasn't. Maybe it was on the phone. I can't remember. Anyway, yeah. it was on something Apple. So. Yeah. so we played this game. He's like, right. He goes, if I double your score, <laughs> I get to drive first. 
He goes, if I don't, then you get to drive first. And I was like, right, okay then. So anyway, so I have my first go, I get like a score of 15 and like his maximum score on there is like 90 something. <laughs> I'm like, ah, oh, geez. So anyway, so he's like, no, no, have another go. In fact, have a bit of practice first. So like, there, there I'm going practicing on this thing. I get to about 30. And of course he has a go and he like, no problem, gets all the way to like 59 points and then suddenly crashes. And I was thinking, you're having me on here. So anyway, so I got to drive uh, around the Nürburgring first, around the Nordschleife, the big track. So I'm in this BMW um, M3 GT4 car and I do my first lap, come back in the pits after the first lap. I'm like, ah, to the team, I was like, how is it? They're like, yeah, okay, okay. I was like, so, uh, so, so what was my lap time? They're like, no, don't worry, don't worry. I was like, no, no, tell me the lap time. And they're like, 12 minutes. I was like, okay. I was like, so what's a good lap time? They're like, nine minutes. Oh. I'm like, you what? I was like, I'm three minutes off the pace. I was just thinking like, Oh god! How is that even possible? Anyway, the next lap I took a whole minute off. Like, of course, I was pushing. Like, came in shaking, kind of thing, thinking, <laughs> "Oh my god!" Like, I almost crashed, kind of thing. Anyway, so um, literally just kept chipping away during the whole day. In fact, so I did my first two laps, sorry, and then class had to go, and and he did two laps, and he's like, "Right, I want a word with you." And of course, at this point, I was thinking, "Shoot, what have I done?" I was like, "I've done something wrong." I was like, "I oh, know it's that one downshift." I was like, I've broken. And all I was, like, I was starting to panic thinking, I screwed it up before I've even gone racing with him. I'm going to be kicked out. I'm out of a job already again. Anyway, he's like, right. He goes, you're doing the races I can't do. And I didn't know much about the VLN championship at the time. I, do, like, I just assumed maybe it was a one driver championship. Anyway, um, the people that don't know the VLN, it's a four hour uh, endurance championship. You can have anything between two and four drivers during the races. And it's on the best track in the world, the mm -hmm. Nürburgring Nordschleife. And so... Uh, at the time he's like right the first race I can't make it to so he goes uh, yeah I'm on holiday with the family you're doing that race and I was like okay uh, second race is uh, my wife's birthday so uh, you're doing that one otherwise none of us are going racing ever again yeah. like, okay. <laughs> then it's like third race daughter's graduation so you're doing that one I'm like cool he goes and then there's one more race and then there's in the Nürburgring 24 hours he goes I'm not going to learn the track in one race. So he goes, you're doing that one race and you're going to go and win the Nürburgring 24 hours. And I was just like, what the hell? Like, he, he basically, he just threw me a lifeline. And so I raced at the Nürburgring. Uh, that went very well. Uh, by the end of the first day, I'd completed all of nine laps and I'd got down to like a 9.14. And of course, at that point, I was like, so go on then, what's a good lap time? And they're like, well, actually, the lap record in that class is nine minutes 10. Wow. And I was like, oh, I'm going to smash that tomorrow. I was like, yeah, I'm going to definitely smash that tomorrow. So anyway, we go back the next day and I'm driving around and there's traffic. I'm like, on the radio, I'm like, there's traffic. Oh, and that was it. So they had one radio channel for all of the cars in the team. There were six cars in the team. So, of course, all I can hear is <laughs> German drivers. Yeah. What a nightmare. Like screaming down the radio. I've got no idea what they're on about. And I, they, they had that in place so that basically if there was oil or water or anything on the track you'd hear they, it they it? could inform each other but of course i just had no idea what was going on and my german hasn't improved since <laughs> and so <laughs> that thankfully there's so many international drivers that go to the nurburgring that uh, now actually everyone uses english as a uh, their their primary language at the nurburgring so of course it's it's made it a lot easier for me um than the year after um, class had purchased the number one customer car of the new McLaren 12C. And so we raced that together and we had a pretty awesome season. We did quite a few of the Creventic races. 
we won the Barcelona 24 hours. And so I think that was okay. Uh, it's it's not quite Le Mans, but it's getting close. Yeah. Um, so we, we won the Barcelona 24 hours in 2012. So that was that was McLaren's first twenty four win since nineteen ninety five. When just when you did that first, what were your first twenty four hours? Because obviously you said you wanted to do that brick car one, but you weren't quite sure how it was how you handled twenty four hours. When it did come to doing that first long haul endurance, how did you find it? How did you prep? How was did you manage? You obviously managed it. Well, the, in fact, so going back to the previous year, like of course up to that point. Uh, like in Formula Renault, the races were 25 minutes. In Star Mazda, the races were 45 minutes. And my first race was at Sebring. And I remember getting halfway through the race thinking, when the hell is this bloody race going to finish? And then the year after was my first endurance race in, in, in the GT. And that was a real eye-opener. Like I got told that right, I'm doing a double stint, so I was going to be in the car for about two hours and ten minutes. And I felt like I pitted three times, and I was thinking when am I going to do the driver change? Like, and I couldn't believe how long the race was. And we'd worked out, right, what we we're going to do is, uh, because of the safety cars and all of that, I, I went in first and it almost didn't matter if you, uh, if the first driver fatigued, as long as you was in a good position for the second part of the race or when the final driver and he was fresh because the cars were super hot then. Like we had the rotary engine in the Mazda and the exhaust came through the passenger side. And it spat out like meter flames out of the back kind of thing. Like this thing was a real monster. It screamed as well. Like it sounded so good. So anyway, this thing was a real toasty car to drive. And uh, and so uh, we always made sure that whoever was finishing only had to do one stint at the end because uh, once or twice I got out and of course suddenly just the heat exhaustion mm. and, uh, and I checked out uh, once or twice. And so like you wake up and you'd be like, all right, why is everyone staring at me kind of thing as they're stood around you? Um, and it'd always be after your adrenaline. Like, you'd get out of the car and you'd be fine. And then as soon as the adrenaline wore out, then that yeah. was it. Like, yeah. your legs would just, like, go on you kind of thing. So so a big jump up from 45-minute races to, uh, to endurance. Um, so then VLN, you're making waves in that. So a few years doing VLN and other bits as well? Or was it yeah, full focus so on VLN? I, I, was, I was lucky that I, I raced... Uh, the first year was VLN and the European Le Mans series. The second year was VLN, a few selected GT Open races and the Coventic Championship in the McLaren 12C. Uh, that that went extremely well. And then, um, and then actually, class at the time was like, well, do you want to start a team from the UK? And he was like, throw me like almost like another lifeline or opportunity. And I was like, wow, right. I would have been 22 or three at the time. And I was thinking is this something that I can manage? I was thinking I can just about make it to flight sometime, never mind uh, trying to arrange a whole team of people. So I looked at it and I priced it all up. And in the end, I was like, look, class, I was like, the most expensive way to go racing is to have one car doing one championship. I was like, if we had a second car, then suddenly it doesn't half the bill, but at least it starts to split it between the two cars. And then I was like, if we have two cars doing two championships, then that's when it makes sense and and it's competitive uh, against the other teams and so we looked at this and <clears throat> in the end um we we moved over to the mercedes and so was this your your first interactions and introduction to the world of mercedes yes it was so this would have been 2012 um so we we did the blanc pan endurance championship so there was a uh, me uh, Class Amol and Steve Jans, we raced with Black Falcon and uh, <clears throat> and um, 
yeah, we, we had a pretty awesome season. I think we finished fourth overall or fifth in the show. I can't quite remember. Is it there? Is that on the Consult's computer? Notes. Let's go with fourth. It sounds better than fifth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not on the computer. <laughs> Maybe it wasn't that good. Anyway, <laughs> uh, we, we had a fourth place finishing class at the Spa 24 Hours. And, uh, and of course, that was that was a tough race. So we were joined by Thomas Jaeger for that race. And uh, we, we had a brilliant race, but I think Thomas got ill halfway through. He wasn't feeling 100% all the way through it. And so I think I ended up completing like 10 hours of the race. And uh, God. I, uh, I almost couldn't walk the next day because the brake pedal in the old SLS was a bit heavier than than in the current GT. And, uh, of course, you did, every time you hit the braking zone, you've got to hammer that pedal kind of thing. Like, okay, it's hard to compare it to anything but we're pushing the brake at anything between 80 and 120 bar but of course it'd be quite interesting to find out what that is in in weight but it's a I'm pretty uh, it's certain a, my a left leg amount. is a lot stronger than my right leg i remember <laughs> when we, we maybe two years ago we did a, a, a very brief track day with adam myself and, and a friend darren and um and that was the first time that i learned to really hit the brake pedal um but we actually broke adam's car it was highly <laughs> embarrassing. I didn't. I finished my lap and then my friend got in the car and he got about halfway round and broke the clutch. Oh, Game yeah. over. Poor old Cleo. That was the end of that. No, was, it wasn't. Was um, that the end of the car? No, no, no. That, that car's still running. So oh, um, I think you're in the clear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no, that, that car's still going strong. So... Uh, I yeah, have to reenact it. I've uh, no, yeah. not allowed. <laughs> you might, you might damage it again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a blacklist of who's not allowed to go. So one of, one of my little drivers, uh, Connor O'Brien, he's not allowed it either because every time he jumps in the thing, something breaks. <laughs> so it's not necessarily his fault. But uh, I've realised that if he doesn't drive it, it seems to stay in one piece. But, uh, so um, so sorry. But before I uh, started talking, so we're, about we're on the fringes cars. of Mercedes oh, no, so now. We're on about yeah. So so I'm in the SLS. Uh, we completed the championship. Um, we did well, we raced at Abu Dhabi but um, unfortunately and obviously very rarely we, we we had a mechanical issue and so we didn't finish the first part of uh, Abu Dhabi and uh, we made the decision to just get the car ready and do the second part of it and so um, actually at that point uh, we finished the race and uh, I raced in Dubai the year after I think we finished third that year and I remember speaking to class and he's like, right, you sat down like, he's like, brilliant race, blah, blah, blah. He's like, oh, you sat down. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, I sat down. He's like, I'm not racing this year. And of course, like at that point, like my heart just sunk. I was like, the news you dread. Yeah. I was like, oh no, I'm finished again. I was like, this is the end of it. And he was like, uh, yeah, he goes, uh, things, things have changed, blah, blah, blah. He goes, I'm going to concentrate on uh my family and business a little bit and he goes um but he goes i'm not gonna race next year i'm thinking oh no right okay then um what are we gonna do and thankfully at that point i'd actually uh been introduced to the pro sport boys and i ended up racing with them in the nurburgring but uh the one thing he did say was look he goes i i'm owed a refund from the first part of uh, abu dhabi that we didn't do and so i was like right okay he goes he goes that money's for you to do what you want with it. He goes, you can either leave it with the team and do a deal with them, or you can take it out and give it to another team, do a deal with another team, or you can take it out and put it into your business or whatever you fancy kind of thing. I was like, right. This guy's okay. an absolute hero. And, yeah. uh, and I was just thinking, 
right well, what what do i do so um so basically i negotiated a deal that i got one test day one vln race and the nurburgring 24 hours the year after so this would have been 2014 that I, the, the start of 2014 and so I've been to the Nürburgring that, that was going into my fourth year at the Nürburgring knew the track inside out been there in a few different classes got a few lap records in each category and it's like right okay looking good and I remember doing the very first test day and I got all of six laps because of course six laps around there is almost an hour mm. and a half's worth of driving especially when you're testing um, and so I did my six laps and uh, a good friend of mine Andrea Simonson was there and I was six seconds off the pace and I was like devastated I couldn't believe that someone was quicker than me I was like how's this possible like what is he doing kind of thing and, and all it was is I've been there there in many cars but I just never had that much power or that much grip to play with and so it was just trusting the car even though I'd raced the GT3 around Grand Prix circuits it was just learning to trust the car at some of the riskier corners like Flugplatz and Arenberg and all of that where you are dancing on the limit kind of thing at 200 plus kilometers an hour. And of course you've got about a meter of grass and then a barrier. And so of course, I suppose fear factor comes in a little bit and you go into survival mode and you don't quite push that hard. So anyway, I was six seconds off. So I was beating myself up. Anyway, we went to the next VLN race and qualifying. We both left the pits at the same time. I was like, right, just hang on to him. I just like basically follow him like a sheep, whatever he does, I'll try and copy kind of thing. Anyway, so Andreas qualified pole, I qualified third and I was like, right, okay, pretty happy with that. And I was only three seconds off and I was like, okay, at least I've closed the gap. Anyway, during the race, I started the race in, in the car that I was in and uh, another driver started in uh, Andreas's car and halfway through the stint, in fact, I think straight at the start, we went straight to second and then halfway through the stint, I was challenging for the lead. I managed to get into the lead and I remember coming in the pits absolutely shaking like a leaf. So I was just thinking, how did I manage that and how did I make it back in one piece kind of thing? Because <laughs> <laughs> just because, like, I still, I was pushing just beyond my comfort zone. Um, on the most dangerous track yeah, in the on, world. on the wildest track in the world kind of thing. And so I came in the pits absolutely buzzing. And actually, we were leading the race and we pitted and then it got red flagged like a lap or two later. And sadly, because of the timing of the red flag, we happened to be in fifth at the time. <sighs> and... Uh, in the end, uh, our teammates won in the other car, but of course, it bugged me because of when course, it's it's, yeah, <laughs> it's just one of them. It's like, oh man, if we just stayed out that extra lap, then it could have, would have, should have been yeah. ours, kind of thing. So anyway, the next race was the Nurburgring Twenty Four Hours, and it's like, right, okay, um, we we had all the the testing uh, building up to it during the week, and then it went into. Uh, the top 20 qualifying and uh, I remember I, I did my first lap and that was good and then the second lap I went a little bit quicker and uh, I don't think too many other people went any quicker anyway I ended up fourth and of course at the time like I was absolutely buzzing and everyone was just like who the hell is this Chris to do Luca they're thinking <laughs> oh, of course at the time I was absolutely loving it and they're like Jesus the Mercedes is super quick blah, blah. he goes if he can do that imagine what Bernd Schneider would do and to be fair, Burnt apparently turned around and he goes, well, he ended up qualifying because he was quicker than me. And of course, like hearing that from someone like Bernd Schneider is just like, it yeah. made my year kind of thing. It's like, geez, right, okay. And so th this was mega. So I ended up uh, quickest Mercedes that year and obviously 
Black Falcon uh, had already won the race in 2013, so they knew the car inside out. They had the setup, they had all the engineering, and and the car was like hooked up kind of thing. And and I managed to piece it together for this one lap. Sadly, we didn't finish the race. But at the end of the race, I remember Sean Paul, uh, the team manager uh, from Black Falcon, going to me. He goes, oh, man, he goes, you should have been in the number one car. And so, of course, I was like, wow. Like, it was just a bit of a dream weekend for me. So so the next season, they actually put me in the number one car. And it's like, right, OK, we're, we're going to try and win this thing. And so I ended up qualifying again the year after. And, of course, it was the same thing that uh, I, I don't think people are quite taken on that... Uh, that it was me racing at the Nürburgring uh, in the GT3 when I set the time and everyone was like who the hell is this Chris the Dulu or they'd be asking because you've got to pull um, I think the top 30 pull a number out the, of a hat for the Super Pole uh-huh. at the Nürburgring 24 hours and of course everyone's trying to figure out who's in front and who's behind whether you have to hold back a little bit just in case they're not quite as quick like the worst thing you want to do is during Super Pole these are the, probably the only two ever laps you'll get around the Nürburgring without any traffic Yeah, and so um so, of course, we're all trying to figure out who's around you and whether they're quick or not. And I remember, I think it was one of the BMWs behind. It's like, who's in the car in front? And uh, again, it was the same situation. Like, who the hell's Chris the Dooley kind of thing? Anyway, I ended up qualifying second. So, of course, I came in absolutely buzzing again. And, uh, um, and yeah, it was just a pretty magical moment in the race. Sadly, the race again didn't quite go to plan. Uh, I was in the car for for one of my first stints. I think we were like four hours into the race and we got to a slow zone and uh, the two cars in front of me slowed down. I just about slowed down and almost went through the middle of them because they almost parted kind of things and I went through the middle and the Audi behind me just went straight into the back of me. And so that that didn't finish the race there. those Audis. (laughs) That that didn't finish the race there. Um, I managed to continue like, and for two laps I was like, guys, I was like, of course, I was on the radio. I've been here, I've been here, and I could feel this vibration. I was thinking, like, oh man, like it's it's damaged something or something's out of balance. Came in the pits after the the two laps. It just happened to be when our scheduled pit stop was. Put the new tire on, on, went back out, and I was like, oh great, it's gone. I was like, perfect. I was like, must have just bent the wheel, kind of thing, from just from the impact somehow. Anyway, continue. Get onto the second lap of this thing, and I can feel this vibration again. I'm like, what the hell's going on here? Suddenly I get to, uh, well, almost the opposite end of the track from where the paddock is. I, mm-hmm. I get to uh, Brideshide, which is the lowest part of the circuit. It's about three corners before the Nicky Lauda King. And suddenly the thing starts vibrating and I, I can't even see where I'm going. It's vibrating that back, that bad. And then it just dropped on its rear axle. And I was like, guys, there's something wrong with the wheel. There's something wrong with the wheel. And I, uh, the next part is like the steepest uphill climb, Kesselkin and all of that. And like, it's one of the fastest parts of the trap, but it's all uphill. And I start to climb all the way about three corners before I get to the carousel. And the wheel rolls past me. Oh, bad times. And the thing just grinds to a halt. Oh. And so, uh, of course, I was just like, no, no. All I was thinking was like, how can I get this thing back? So anyway, so I pulled over on the side. And, of course, we're, we're on an incline at this point. So the thing, I was like, well, I can't go forwards because I've got no drive. So I just roll backwards onto the grass. Anyway, I get out of the car. And I'm like, well, I can see the wheel. So I went and ran and got this wheel. And, of course, like, <laughs> with my helmet and everything on, it was like uh, something kind of some comic film, some black and white film. Like, as I'm running. I feel like I've seen this. As I'm running to the wheel, pick up the wheel. And all I'm thinking is, how can I get this bloody thing on the car? And so I'm looking, and I'm like, right. And I, 
Ah, I had my phone with me. I always got told from when I raced the BMW to take your phone with you on the Nurburgring because sometimes the radio signal won't work. So I've got the phone. I've got my phone. Where'd you keep it? In the car? In my pocket. In your pocket? Oh. Yeah, just yeah. in my pocket. Yeah. So. <laughs> There's not a little, like, nice little slot there. For no, the no, 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 no. So, yeah. yeah, one of them magnetic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the clips onto so. the dashboard. Perfect. Uh, FaceTime whilst driving. Yeah. So, no, don't do <laughs> Do that. not condone that. Uh. <laughs> um, so anyway, so I remember them saying, right, there's a, a little tool bag in the car. I'm like, great. So of course I run around the car, open the wing, like the, the, the passenger door, get the tool bag out, close the door, run back around and I open it and I've got a pair of tie grips, uh, some cable cutters and some tape. And I'm like, shit. That's not going to fix the wheel. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no. no. And then to to um, Marshall's turn up, I'm like, great. It's like, if they can lift it, I can put the wheel on. I can just do the nut up kind of thing. That's all I was thinking. If I can just get the nut on, then I can probably drive it. Pack kind of thing anyway. Um, I remember like the next day I was aching. I was like, why am I aching so much? And I put my arms under the wheel arch. And I managed to like squat the corner of the car and like lift the thing up. But of course I realised that I was in the way and they couldn't get the wheel around my legs kind of thing. So, um, so anyway, so it eventually took me two hours to get the thing back. So uh, I remember my phone going off and I I looked at it and it's my old teammate from when I was in the Porsche, um, Jörg Vibarn. And he's ringing me. I'm thinking, Jörg, this is not the time to be calling me. Anyway, next thing I know, one of his team cars turns up and they've got a spare wheel in the passenger side. They've got an air bottle in there, like the big torque wrench and everything to put the wheel on the car and I'm like what the and there and that car is racing in in the race as well no well, how's that working? no what 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 had happened or what they used to do which you're not allowed to now I think it's pretty much since that happened oh. um was basically they always entered a spare car as their own sort of like that team's own course of uh, safety car and so if anything went wrong they'd almost drive around and either push their uh, team car back to the pits if it ran out of fuel or something or, and so basically uh, what, what they got was they, they, they had a driver and they were like, hey, do you fancy doing uh, the usual at the Nürburgring? You get to do a bit of testing, you get to do qualifying and uh, maybe you can do a lap or two in the race kind of thing. And apparently the guy always agreed to it. It's just basically a bit of a fun weekend to be involved, almost like one of the mechanics that could drive kind yeah. of thing. And, uh, and basically they, they entered in their own like course car and that's well we ended up using their car for the exact purpose of making or being able to get all the way back to the pit so of course um managed to get the wheel on i was like oh good right got the wheel on like i didn't realize for two hours i had my helmet on running around i should have probably just taken off it would have made life a hell of a lot easier Mm. um the got the wheel on all good went to drive away moved about 50 meters and the thing went (laughs) back on the ground again like great so they dragged it back put the wheel on i was like how can I stop the nut from coming off? And so basically, uh, one of the Allen keys that I was using, I'd managed to, uh, where the, the safety lock was meant to be, it all like been mangled and everything. I just put the Allen key through it and I used a tie grip. And so the wheel nut just butted up to the Allen key and wouldn't come off anymore. I was like, great, sweet, I can make it back. So I managed to get all the way up to, well, probably half a kilometre away. And it stopped again because <sighs> I didn't have the drive. I had like a, like, almost like a limited drive and whilst on the plateau was okay but as it got steeper and steeper it started slipping Mm. more and more and it just ground to to a halt the marshals in fact there was a few English marshals they're like get out of the car get out of the car and I was like I can't they're like put it in gear and I was like no you don't understand I was like it's as if it's in neutral I can't take my foot off the brake unless I want to end up back at the carousel kind of thing 
And so, uh, of course, I had to wait there and they towed me back. And yeah, like I said, it took me two hours to get back. And then I got called to the clerk's office and they're like, I'm thinking, all oh, right, okay. And they're like, right, uh, what happened? I was like, well, my wheel fell off. And then next thing I know, I'm like being grilled and I feel like a school kid being like grilled by the headmaster. And they're like, and then what happened? I'm like, the wheel fell off. And then what? I was like, well, I pulled over. And then what? I was like, well, I went and got the wheel. Well, what happened in between? I was like, I don't know. They're like, you reversed down the track. And I was like, no, I didn't. And they're like, yeah, you did. You reversed. I was like, no, I was like, I lost the wheel. I couldn't go forward. So I just rolled onto the grass where I thought it was safe. They're like, oh, right. I was like, I can get you the data in the video if you want. And they're like, no, it's okay. Like, <laughs> stay outside and uh, go back in. And uh, they're like, okay. And is there anything you want to add? And I was like, well, no. And then next thing I know, they're like, right, uh, you're going to be getting this fine and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, what? What for? And they're like, well, as you can see here, uh, what should you have done once the car had stopped? And I was like, um, stayed in the car. They're like, no. And I was like, got over the fence. They're like, yes. And what did you do? And I was like, ran around the car, <laughs> tried, tried to fix it. <laughs> like, exactly. So I was like, oh, man, so I ended up with a fine. Oh. So, um, so, so anyway, so, so that was that. And, uh, Obviously, a real experience, and uh, Sean Paul fought my corner, and uh, yeah, obviously a huge thank you to, to Sean Paul at Black Falcon, and uh, he pushed AMG, and they signed me for 2016, and, wow. uh, and after since, that, uh, yeah, and pit since stop then, experience, yeah, <laughs> yeah and I, I don't, I don't know what it was, whether it was just. Uh, me being a complete lunatic trying to fix this car on the side of the track that won them over or the ingenuity of it all, probably <laughs> if that's a word um, uh, but, but it's uh, a yeah. hell of a story yeah and, uh, and klaus by by all is it klaus yeah klaus, Kl- yeah, klaus yeah. by all accounts is is well, to be honest, the guy to thank for most of your career by the sound of well, it oh yeah like he he just yeah he just he really threw me a huge lifeline and uh and so we, we still speak every year and uh well yeah he'll get a christmas and, car for life i think well, yeah, yeah definitely yeah, definitely. So, uh, so you, so you've, I mean, you've raced obviously so many different cars on so many different racetracks. After all that, do you have um, a favourite car and a favourite track? I suppose you may be slightly uh, biased uh, these days, depending on who pays the bills. <laughs> so, well, like my, my favourite, my, my favourite track is it's going to be obvious. It's the Nurburgring. Uh, but yeah. then going back to okay, favourite Grand Prix circuit. Like I, I love some of these circuits in America. So. Like VIR Raceway is one of my favourites. It's a real old school racetrack, um, quite narrow. The sections where you're straight lining it and the tracks just going from left to right and like you're straight lining all of this. There's a where is that? Sorry, um, uh, Virginia. Oh right, okay. yeah, Virginia International Raceway VIR, and so um, so that that's an awesome circuit. And then uh, obviously may, maybe just because it's home, I've got a real love for Silverstone. Uh, Spa's obviously pretty uh, in- incredible. But um, in fact, I think one of my newest favorite tracks is a track called Ningbo in China. Like, it's it's a real car killer. But um, like, you've got to launch it over almost all the curbs, kind of thing. Like, you'd almost be better in a rally car around there than than a GT3 car. Yeah. It's, maybe the GT3s are a little bit uh, too big, or like, I think a touring car, like a world touring car, would be pretty awesome around there because. You see them boys and they're launching it over curbs and using mm. grass and bits of track they shouldn't uh, half the time. And I think actually that car would be pretty awesome to, 
to take around there. Now, you've obviously had your ups and downs and, and um, you've had the likes of Klaus there to, to, um, to help you through some of those downs. What would you say was the most uncertain point where you thought, right, that's it. There's no, there's nothing that can be done here. That's it. I've got to go and, and get dust off the old non-racing CV. Go, go yeah. and work for my dad. No. Um, <laughs> so um, it was probably after the, the my first Grand Am year and, and finishing the Daytona 24 hour, four hours at that point, I was like, that's it. And I remember speaking to my dad and my dad was like, you just need to email absolutely everyone. So of course I went through all the British GT all the European um, championships and, and I just went, I suppose, on a bit of a rampage of firing out emails to all the drivers and all the team managers and all of that. And it was one of them, like, uh, it's it's extremely tough out there and it's a shame because I'm pretty certain there's, there's many drivers, some that are possibly quicker than or are going to be quicker than me, but just either run out of the funding and, and never make it uh, to, to earning a real living out of motorsport like in my head I think there's like maybe 80% of people end up bringing funding to the teams whether it's through sponsorship or family and all of that and then there's probably like 10-15% that uh, it doesn't cost them anything but they don't earn a living from it which is obviously a great position to, to be in and I was in that position for some time as well and then there's only a very small percentage that really earn a living as as a driver and it's extremely tough out there and I suppose it's it's yeah sadly there's not too much we we can do about it and uh it's it's a real dog eat dog world out there but uh i've, I've been lucky enough to put myself in a position surround myself by some like, fantastic people and i've managed to keep the ball rolling like uh my, my cousin for example like um ricky is is equally as quick as me but i just got handed like you said that lifeline to, to mm-hmm. race with with class and um, and Ricky managed to continue for a few extra years but it's just trying to keep that ball rolling which is mm. like almost impossible uh, obviously going up through your career there's, you, you, you look at you, you know, everyone looks at Formula 1 and goes yeah I want to race in that and now when you first got that affiliation with Mercedes is there any sort of crossover with F1 we know we sort of very sort of I suppose flirted is the right choice of word with an F1 car talk to us about that and how did that how that sort of before, came before about. you talk about that I I was looking through your social media and it looked to me like you drove an F1 car was it all a lie no <laughs> the magic of Instagram <laughs> so well yeah and, and this is another another subject where like of course you have to be careful obviously with all the social media stuff because at the end of the day like uh and, it, and it's something which i think's uh, affected well it fe- sadly it affects everyone nowadays i think and uh, mm. of course everyone's got this thing like at the end of the day everyone's posting the best five percent of their life mm. and it's the highlights real isn't and it's it? the, yeah. yeah yeah that's what it is and of course uh, and you do see how unfortunately how it does affect people and people do get depressed because of it and like it's almost the more connected we're becoming online the the less connected we are mm. uh in in person which is a real shame um and i suppose the f1 thing was almost a perfect example um i got the opportunity to sit in the car um and of course, got a few photos. I asked them actually. So this was during this was Silverstone earlier this year. It was 125 years of Mercedes Motorsport, and so uh, we had this event. We had a selection of Formula One cars there, some of the old school DTM cars, the GT3, the GT4 there, so, uh, some of their rally cars, some real cool looking classics. 
and uh, and they allowed they allowed us to have a go in a few of them and so uh anyway the f1 car was there and i was just like oh can i have a sit in it and they're like yeah okay then uh, i knew one of the mechanics because actually he used to work on uh, the cars that i used to race in formula renault and i was like can i go and grab my helmet and hands he's like yeah go for it so of course went and grabbed that ran back across the garage jumped in this thing just about fitted in the car uh, it was lewis's seat at the time i could feel it digging into my hips um, Very thin-hipped, is it? <laughs> Small uh, bottom. Uh, maybe, maybe I'm just more of a GT driver than I used to be a single-seater <laughs> yeah. driver. Yeah. A few too many uh, biscuits. Um, so anyway, so I jumped in, and of course I got them to take a few photos, and it, like, all the photos are just off off my phone. And so, uh, next thing I know, the next morning, um, suddenly it's like Bottas has missed his flight. And before anyone said anything, I was like, I'm in, I'll do it. And so, of course, I was like, I'll warm it up. Yeah. And so, uh, so, anyways, of course, they're warming it up. So I, to- I took a video of them warming it up and I was like, wow, how how mad would this be kind of thing? Like, completely unexpected anyway. Suddenly, he made the next flight oh. and he made it in time. So I was like, oh, man, gutted. But I had a video of Lewis Hamilton exiting the pits. And, of course, he's got a little bit of red on his helmet. Of course, back then, I had a little bit of red on my helmet as well. And I got a video of him going past the pits, uh, flat out into into turn one. And of course, just from I suppose the correct angles, I just put on there. I was like, "Well, that escalated," and that's all I put. I didn't put <laughs> yeah. anything else. I didn't actually even say that I drove the thing because everyone on social media like oh lost my god, it kind of yeah. thing. And of course, next thing I know, I've got. Yelma Berman ringing me and like some of the other boys like how the hell did this happen of course like I'm here on this just event uh, looking after uh, some of the media guys and of course I've got Hubert Hounds ringing me as well and uh, and he's like how the hell did you get in this F1 car blah, blah, blah. like everyone's like losing oh, their no. minds kind of thing and oh, then unfortunately it. like I suppose the joke was on me because like after a few days I was like this has got out of control like everyone's <laughs> asking me how this thing is and all of that and I'm like I don't know I just got to warm the seat up for Lewis yeah. <laughs> at least you've got your own gifts as well on Instagram let's not forget that you've got your own gifts Lewis so that's a real winner uh, I will never trust your social <laughs> media ever again, ever again. Listen, it, it, uh, we're going to stick to the Mercedes theme here yes. um, yeah. we have prepared a, uh, a quick quiz for you which um, some of our other guests have taken part in and Harry will give you a rundown oh, of the no, score yeah, yeah so we, we didn't start this right if from I the beginning wrong, is there a chance I might be fired yes uh, absolutely um, so the leaderboard currently stands so uh, we basically uh, it's called Motor Mouths uh, and uh, I have four Am bits I allowed of- to look at the screen yeah, uh, you I don't think there's nothing on there. There's yeah, nothing you'll see. No, no, it's all on my. I was, I was hoping there might be some answers. Uh, absolutely <laughs> yeah, not. Uh, I've got four bits of team radio, and they're all from the Mercedes F1 drivers uh, from this year and last year. All oh, right. Okay, uh, and so uh, all I want you to do is for each one, there's three points up for grabs. You get one point for naming which driver it is, uh, one point for what you think is going on, the context of the situation, <laughs> and then one point for if you can guess the track. That's a difficult oh, one. Geez. You'll you'll get the driver one pretty easily. Um, and I've got four. Currently, Bobby Thompson, British touring car driver, he's in the lead with seven points. Charlie Martin, second six, and Nicky Shields, a measly third on five and a half. I'm not quite sure how Charlie ended up with six because it was it was. Painful. I think I was a bit. Oh, she won't mind. She won't mind us saying. It it's a bit. It's a bit. Well, I I I teeter between being really generous and then being outright. There are going to be no not. tips here. This this should be a full house, quite frankly. Okay, are you ready for your oh, first no, bit of I'm team terrible. radio? Mm. You should hear this through your headphones now. I can't keep the car behind. Bono, can you not see that? 
I don't know what you're thinking when you keep these tires on, man. You need to hope for a miracle. What are you thinking? So, driver? Lewis. Yes, Tick. correct. That's one. Uh, now, what do you think's going on? It sounds like he's running out of rear tires. That's correct. At the Red Bull ring. Oh. oh no! But who's he talking? Who's he? Who's he defending from? Red Bull driver. This year? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, he is. So basically, he is. He's basically his, his, his tires are shot, and there's no way he can keep Verstappen behind. Uh, it wasn't at the Red Bull Ring. It was at Monaco. This uh, year. Are they uh, all from this year? Yes, most okay, except okay, for okay. one, which is from uh, the year before. 2018. Okay, okay. Uh, so I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you two points for that because it was his tires were shot. Mm-hmm. So that's two for uh, number one. So let's put uh, two there. All right, this is uh, Team Radio number two. Indeed. To whom it may concern you. That's my favourite bit of Team Radio. Uh, driver. Bottas. Yeah. Where is it? Where did he win? Oh, was it the first race? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh. oh, Australia. Yeah. Oh. Australia this year. Well done. Yes. And uh, and so and so, what's he saying? And who's he saying it to? What's the context of the situation? He's saying it to the rest of the world. Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> Do I get a point for that? Oh, yeah. that you know what? Full house. That is. That's a full house. I think that's honest. our first ever full house. That is a first ever full house. That was one of the best bits God. of team radio I think that's ever happened. Um, okay. Two more to go. Here we go. Next one. Hi, It's James. We had a risk with Lewis against Patel. He has a small blister. I had to do this to make sure we secure this. I understand. I mean, it's kind of giving away the drivers in that one, but it's too good not to. Driver? Yeah. Bottas. Bottas, Valtteri, it's James. Uh, context of the situation? Is that Lewis has jumped him. Yeah. Uh, because of the undercut. And it's is I need to look at the calendar. That was a big, big event. Hungry. Where? Say that again. Hungry. Hungry. Oh no. Incorrect. Incorrect. It Incorrect. was the Russian Grand Prix. Right. So Sochi. Uh, but two out of three. That's not bad. And of course, that was. I think that if I'm right, that was the first proper open team orders to Bottas, where it was the the, the classic Valtteri. It's James. Yeah. Mm. Correct. Uh, okay. This is your final one now. That's cool. They kept us all behind, so we couldn't get a lap. <laughs> Driver <laughs> Lewis Yeah Monza Yes Yes Nailed it That's three for three Wow That is That's three Winner Whoa You double. You're the first one to hit double figures That is ten And you go yeah. right to the top Of the leaderboards I think that deserves another Thank you. Thank you very much. That is going to be hard to beat. Yeah, that is going to be hard to beat. Um, we've got some quick questions for you. We're, uh, yes. we're going to have to wrap it up fairly shortly, but we'll fire a few things at you. Um, what are you driving on the road? Well, if it's not the Clio's to the racetracks whilst I'm coaching, it's my AMG C43. Formula E or Formula One? Ooh. I, I'm like, always surprised at how much this stumps people. I this think month. these days now it really is a big 50 like, 50. If they could put them. Big speaker on the back of the Formula E car. No, like obviously the the racing. See, I said that they the, do have a noise. I said, yeah, this. yeah, I know, I know. But the thing is, like, the noise creates a great atmosphere. It does and, you are right? And, and this is mm. why people sort of 
complain about the current noise of the F1 cars <coughs> compared to 10 years ago when they absolutely used to scream. Yeah. Yep. Um, what are you rubbish at? Mm, not knowing when to stop talking. I'm not sure. <laughs> you are a good talker. You're a very good talker. Um, racing idle. Mm. In fact, idle, racing or otherwise. So, as a kid, I was a huge fan of uh, John Surtees. And it might have been because uh, I knew him through karting. I knew John and Henry. Um, we were in the same team together. But like, just understanding that, like how he raced on both two and four wheels and no one else has been able to com- like even compete against that. Okay, I understand obviously cars nowadays, everything's getting more extreme and so you, you do have to concentrate on just one uh, discipline. But uh, yeah, John Surtees was a big hero of mine and of course my dad, like he's, he's helped me get to where I am and he's still always there when I need advice and stuff. So, uh, we like to wrap up most of the podcast with uh, our final three questions, which has now become four because Tim wanted to add in another one. Yeah. Uh, so I'll, I'll start you with uh, number one. What's got you excited at the moment, racing or otherwise? Oh, what gets me excited at the moment? I don't know. Like I'm really enjoying the traveling and going to China and stuff at the moment. Um, it's it's a re- it's really it's a different world over there and obviously experiencing some of the very interesting food which they have to offer over there mm. and, uh, and just how the other side of the world works kind of thing um like some things are real big brother over there where like as you're driving down the streets uh, you get flashed every 200 meters and they're tracking your car and everything wow. and then there's other things where like the complete opposite end of the scale where uh, sadly there's like some of these shanty towns and stuff around but like yeah. it's, it's, it's been a real eye-opener and like just uh getting to explore china's been i think really interesting uh, for me and i'm not scared of trying the foods and that like each time i go generally i get maybe a little bit of a funny tummy like halfway through the trip but uh, i just make sure that i've got a few tummy tablets and, mm. and off i go kind of thing um that that i think is pretty exciting just exploring that and then uh, I don't know. I'm obviously getting older. I can't think right now. Go on, move right. on to number two, Tim. Uh, just an, incidentally, in China, um, I don't know whether you've already experienced this, and I'll, it's, it's a story for off air. Um, but you you need to try the hairy crab. Oh god, that sounds horrible. Mm. Yeah, I, I think it it is. Is. if I went to China, I'd just be vegetarian. What hmm? <laughs> <laughs> I found bizarre is I like, obviously we we eat prawns over here. We peel them and all of that, yeah. and we dip them in the seafood sauce, whereas. Over there, they just eat the whole thing in the hall. I'm like, whoa, what the hell? Eyes and all. It freaked me out when they got the the head and the tail and literally just bit into the middle with all the shell and everything on. I was like, wow, kind of thing. But I suppose, like, like we've had, I, I, again, post everything on social media and all of that, like whether it's the pig trotters that we're eating and all that, and everyone's like, oh, no, horrible, horrible. It's like... Delicious. You didn't eat a pig's trotter. Yeah, but what's the difference between a pig's trotter and another piece of meat that's... Well, it's a trotter. That's the difference. That's... Oh. Yeah, but... No. No. I suppose you... Well, it depends. I think it's... I reckon if you were served pig's trotters, though, out on, like, diced up on a bed of lettuce in some Michelin-style restaurant in London, you would eat it because of the way it's dressed up, but you would... Maybe the way it's served Okay, so, so of course, that was the reaction that I got off social media yeah. like, oh my uh, god and that's how it went until you see the next thing it's the pig's brain oh and like, everyone's just actually like, weirdly I'd rather go for the pig brain really? than the trotter I but, imagine the trotter would be really crunchy like eating a nail <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, oh move on if you weren't a racing driver what would you be 
I don't know. So my, my dad's in the rag trade. So, um, so yeah, he makes uh, and they they sell women's clothing. And uh, in fact, that, that's another thing. Do you remember the blue and black dress that was white and gold? Oh yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, the dress that broke the internet. That yeah. was uh, yeah. No. That just happened to be from uh, <gasps> my dad and uncle's business. No. And so, what uh, color was it? Pink and purple. What? No, shut up, you're joking. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so so it, it was blue and black, but it was to do with the yellow like hue in the background that uh, apparently that decided on or your brain, depending on which side of your brain saw it first. Yeah. That's the coolest um, thing that, that I've heard this crazy. whole podcast. <laughs> Forget the Mercedes stuff. No idea that. Wow. There you go. Edit just the last five minutes. We're leading with that. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> so, um, but yeah. Uh, he started entertaining himself and of course he started sending me links to like different articles and of course the question was like so when did you realise like the the blue and black dress was like starting to go viral and it's like well I was doing my morning yoga (laughs) and uh, then like the the guy's like yoga and he's like yep I do it every morning like my dad hasn't been to a gym or done yoga in <laughs> at least 20 years. Kind of. In fact, I don't think he's ever done yoga. Like, I think the closest Brilliant. he's got to doing yoga is yawning and stretching at the same yeah. time. But, um, you get the feeling that if you enter the Christodulu household, you've got to be on your toes. Yeah. You know, yes, like dad's a nutter, but of course we all love him for it. Like he, <laughs> he obsesses over stuff, which, which is annoying, but brilliant at the same time. Like whether it's, uh, one of his latest things was making sure that his knives were the sharpest knives in the world kind of thing and he ended up getting like these special sanding blocks for sanding his knives and, and then he's like slightly worrying yeah. and the next week he's like Adam my knives are blunt I'm like what and he goes I've realised I've been sanding them wrong <laughs> he's like I have to submerge the stone in the water before I sand it I'm oh like, my right. God. and then next thing I know he's like why is there no food in the freezer he's like this is my ice freezer it's like what he goes this freezer is dedicated for making the perfect crystal like the perfect ice balls the sapphire like like the perfect yeah um, so your dad's completely mental yeah, yeah. <laughs> and are we talking kitchen knives here or are these like weaponized no no these are kitchen knives for like cooking and all of that and of course n- none okay, of the family is allowed to touch them no only him yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. wow so, um, okay where, where to go from there <laughs> yeah. uh, I know what are you scared of <laughs> knives <laughs> um, what am I scared of? Um, oh, I suppose sometimes I, I get a little bit of an anxiety when it when it comes to doing this or speaking in front of big crowds. Like no, you if, don't. If, if, really? if I'm talking about something I know really well, mm. then I'm okay. If it's something I'm a little unsure about, then I feel like I start to get a hesitation and I feel like myself stumbling, like from mm. the inside kind of thing. Um, okay, last one for you, and then we'll let you uh, let you get away. Um, you've had a lot of success over the course of your career. How much of that success do you put down to luck and right place, right time? And how much do you put down to sheer hard work? So I'm a firm believer that the harder you work, the more luck you create yourself. And But I suppose like at the same time, um, I, I know I've been extremely fortunate to to get into the position that I'm I'm in, and um, I like to think that I treat everyone fairly with how I approach things, and I try and get a, as best an understanding as what I can. Doesn't matter what I'm doing, whether it's racing or um, or like recently, obviously I'm just sort of exploring the YouTube world. So of course. I've probably watched a gazillion hours of like YouTube videos of what to do and what not to do and all of that. And 
so far it doesn't seem to be working but um <laughs> but uh, I, I think it's just patience uh, for, for stuff like that and so um and of course and so from that i'm le- learning to edit uh on my own amazing well adam christodili thank you so much for uh, telling us about your incredible motorsport story yeah, it's an amazing um, story yeah it really is on the most mouth podcast cheers for coming in thank you so much thanks adam. great seeing you guys bye-bye cheers thank you so much for listening to episode eight of the motor mouth podcast thank you so much to adam for giving up his time as well we'll be back with another episode soon we've got some really exciting guests lined up for you uh, but we cannot say anything just yet but make sure you keep an ear out on all our socials in the meantime if you missed any of our first few episodes with uh, Racing Driver and Fernando Alonso Protégé, Callan O'Keefe, Emmerdale Actor and Strictly Come Dancing Sensation, Kelvin Fletcher, the first ever Top Gear Stick, Perry McCarthy, our Trip to Goodwood Highlights episode, Bobby Thompson, Charlie Martin or Nikki Shields. They're all available on whatever podcast platform you so desire. There's also loads more content on MMTV and the Motormouth app available to download from your app store now. Like, subscribe, review, all that jazz if you feel so inclined. It does really help people to find the podcast uh, and you can follow us on social media Twitter at Motormouth underscore Instagram at Motormouth underscore official and on Facebook it's just Motormouth have a good one and we'll see you next time